if you will. Signs is the series name. What time is it? That's a good question. What time is it? And uh, are there things that we can look at that would help us know where we are when it comes to the end times? Now, if you've been in church a while, you've heard stuff over the years. I mean, I went to Bible school in 1989. I graduated. Uh, when I was there, there was a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Was Returning in 88. And they sold over like a million copies. He didn't come. So there was a revision. And then, this is no joke, 89 reasons why. You can only do that so long and then people are like, forget it. And uh, because we don't know the exact day, but there are signs to tell us if we're close. And so, you know, some things that we've looked at there's just no way around uh, marking them on a calendar, so to speak, and saying, this never, ever has happened, could not happen, unless it's near the end. And so we're going to look at that. And so this is what I want to say as we start. It's important to know why and how we study end times, because sometimes people get super fascinated with end times and just get way off base, they do. But end times are important. They can be uh, something that would move somebody to believe. I mean, you got a book that was written, you know, and put together almost 2,000 years ago, and then stuff written way before then that tell us wars that would happen right before the end and different things that would happen uh, right after, you know, it was written, you know, some of the letters and different things, and then things would happen at the end of time, uh, and now we start seeing them come to pass, that can move somebody from skepticism to belief. You know what I mean? And so that's good. But then for us who do already believe, it should strengthen us. It should be kind of like a two-minute warning. If we are getting close, it should be like, you know, at the end of a football game, I always wonder... What's the people's problems, you know? Why don't they play like this the whole time? Anybody ever watch sports and think that? You know, all of a sudden they get down to this last thing and you think, why weren't they doing this before? And all of a sudden they come back from all this and they're like, whoa. You know, and you think, why didn't you do that before? But they all of a sudden start getting pressed and realize we can't be joking around anymore. Not that they were, you know, tripping each other, you know, and playing around. They were serious, but now it's like, man, we got to go for it. And uh, they have a clock that tells them, hey, we're near the end. And if we're going to do it, we got to do it now, or we're just going to end the game, and we're going to end it like we are. And if we see things like that that tell us, hey, we really are near the end, they should make us think, okay, how long should I wait to do what I need to do or what is right to be done. And so one thing that is real important when you teach on this, I think, is to realize your focus should not be on this. You know what I mean? Uh, and I'll say it like this. If you're driving your car, we have a term today probably that's thrown around all the time that maybe years gone by it wasn't. It's a term called distracted driver right? And they try to 
enforce laws like, you know, in different states, you have to have hands-free devices to be on the phone. You can't do this. You can't text. You can't do different things. I know you can text and drive in our state because we're better than California. And so I'm from there, so I can say that. But anyway, you know, their roads are pretty packed, so they make things illegal. But they talk about distracted driving. And uh, no matter what, if you drive, whether it's legal or not, you can't be overly observing the wrong thing when you're driving, right? No matter if it's legal to text or not or whatever, you, if you're driving, it is not right to be overly observing other things. I mean, you can get in trouble if you're eating and you get so distracted it causes you to swerve around. They'll pull you over. You could get a ticket for that. Is it illegal to eat? No. Somebody says it's illegal to eat in my car. Well, that's a different thing. You could preach that on your own to the people who get in your car. But the fact of the matter is you can eat in your car, but you can't be overly distracted. And if you think about it, it is right to look at things and be observant of things around you when you're driving. Even the speed limit. You need to look down at it at different times so you're not going too slow, too fast for the conditions, and you need to look and be moving around. And they even teach you when you're in driving school to look to the left, look to the right, you know, scan your mirrors. Every so often you want to be doing this because you want to know where you're at, know your surroundings, know what's happening. Isn't that true? And so this is kind of the same way. You want to know your surroundings. You want to know what's going on because if you don't, it could be not good. You with me? But you can't get overly attached to certain things around. Uh, my uncle and aunt take family members when they're up in Montana and they'll go to Glacier National Park. And he told me, if I ever go there, I only take the red bus because he said, you have to be so observant of the road, you can't really look around and see stuff. And so we need to know this, we're all driving, we can't take the red bus. So we've got to be observant, but we need to be looking and seeing what is out there. And there are specific instructions for those who observe that they are near the end. That's important. And one of them is to recognize that when you see these things come to pass, don't get overly focused. Look up, get your attention on the Lord. Why would he say such a thing? Because in one place he said people's hearts would fail them for fear because they're overly focused on the things that are happening in the world. The things that are going on in the world, if that's your focus, it will cause fear. And it said their hearts will fail them. That didn't mean they're going to have a physical heart attack. He's talking about the spiritual part of them that the Bible talks about victory in life flows from. Our relationship with God flows from that. And so Peter, when he got overly focused on the storm, when the Lord said, walk, his heart got filled with fear. And he began to sink. His answer was, don't overly focus on the wrong thing. Whatever you focus on, your heart will swell in. And if it's wrong, the swelling will be anxiety. You with me? And not a confidence in the Lord. So that being said, we need to know that one of the major teachings about end time teachings 
that should be a thread is when you start observing the end coming, your focus should not be on it, but your main focus should be directed on the Lord. Turn to Luke 21. We're going to look at a couple of signs. We're going to move through some scriptures. A lot of times when you look at end times things, it seems to be that you can hear one way or the other, positive only, negative only, but there are both things. We just need to know how to navigate this. So Luke 21, 24 says this, and we'll begin reading uh, 24th verse. It says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword. Now he's finishing up a topic and then he's about to jump into something that is very end times. And they will be led away captive into all nations. This is the children of Israel. This happened about 70 AD. They were dispersed from their land. And then it says this, And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time the Gentiles are fulfilled. So a real end time thing that we can look at the clock and know we're getting close to the end is that way back then in 70 AD, Israel was displaced from their land and he said it would be that way until we get near the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, which we know is right at the end times. And so this being said, when did this happen? Well, it's kind of been sort of a thing in motion. 48, 67, this year, we declared Jerusalem the capital. We recognized it publicly, but they came back 70 years ago. So you can see this is taking shape right in front of our eyes. And so we have to be close. What does that look like? I'm not going to say close as in... 10 years, 5 years, 100 years. But let's keep reading. Verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and in the earth distress of nations with, with what? Perplexity. What's going to happen to these nations? There will be perplexity of nations. Signs. We talk about the blood red moons and that stuff. I don't believe that's when the second coming is where the moon and the sun is darkened. Those are more signs. You with me? And, and it goes on to say perplexities, the seas and waves. In other words, storms, different things. But he said perplexity of nations would be a sign we're nearing the end. What is perplexity? It literally means the inability to deal with or understand something complicated or accountable. Man, we are not, as a nation, nor are other nations, meaning Germany, not just us, because I think one wrong thing about Bible prophecy is when you talk about our nation like we are the world, and we are what it's written about, and we are not what it's written about. The whole of the Bible was written not to the United States, so when people say, well, you know, the United States isn't mentioned in prophecy, therefore, we're done. 
No, that's like saying Guatemala is not mentioned there. Nicaragua is not. Peru is not. Australia is not. Canada is not. All kinds of countries are not. We're just self-centered. I mean, not us. Other people. No. We have to recognize, we have to be careful we don't think the record spins around us. Really, it's about Israel and around there. And so he said, perplexity of nations, inability to deal with or understand something complicated. Man, we seem to be starting to prosper as a nation now under this president, but it seems like we're not being able to deal with anything complex as a people group. And it's not just us, it's other nations. If it was just us, we could go, okay. But when we were down in Central America last week, I was talking to somebody down there. He said, our business is being cut off because of all the uprising in Nicaragua. They can't even get across the border. And there's upheaval all over the place, and people are not knowing how to deal with stuff. They're trying to throw the president of Germany out, get him out, get someone else, because they don't know how to deal with all the immigration and all the violence that's now breaking out from it perplexity of nations. And then it goes on to say, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So in other words, they're focusing on the wrong thing and it's going to produce fear. One thing we'll find is there will be more and more anxiety in the day we live if people don't know how to get their attention on the Lord and keep their mind on the right thing. You can quiet your own heart by getting your mind on the Lord and off problems. But it's an exercise. That's why it's ingrained in this teaching. Meaning not what I'm saying, but what the Scriptures say. And then it goes on to say, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 27. Here is something you need to know about the second coming. It tells us people will rise up in the earth and say, oh, I'm the way, I'm the way, this is the way. He said, no, I'll come in the clouds, that's how you'll know. So we're not looking on the earth for him, we're looking to the heavens. Amen? And so Matthew 24, let's look at a couple of other things that are signs that we might be near the end. So to me, there's no other way to look at that of Israel becoming a nation and saying, we're near the end because that has never happened. You can't say, well, that happened in Jerusalem now being recognized as the capital. And it said that that area would be trampled underfoot until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Literally, Jerusalem. Matthew 24, 36 says this, and we'll read a couple of verses, but of that day and that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So you can't know the exact calendar date. But you can know real close. Notice this. But, this is a sign. As the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So you have to go back and look at what was it like when Noah was here on the earth. When God was challenging mankind that they could come on the ark with these animals 
and they just decided we're going to keep partying, we're going to keep living in sin, we're going to, we don't carry, we're going to marry this person, move on to this person. And we don't have to marry this person, we'll just be with this person. And they were like that, and they were partying and just going on. And it says, for as in the days before the flood, were, they were eating they were gluttonous. They were drinking. They were getting drunk. They were marrying and giving in marriage. They just forget this covenant of marriage and move on to another one. Now, if people are divorced, that's not the end of the world. But don't keep just going, well, we can just get rid of this one, move on to another. That was their mentality. Marriage became no longer sacred. God is the forgiver, though. But if you don't want forgiveness, you can't even get it. Then it says, and then Noah entered into the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice this. What we need to understand is there's two sides to this. There is going to be a group of people who are not going to recognize what's going on all the way up until the Lord comes. There will be another group of people who will recognize we are getting close and like Noah, we'll be working on the ark. And there's an interesting thing here that very last week, there was a huge gathering in. One side, there was a gathering in. The other side, they persisted in going their own way. And I believe that as we look at a couple of things, we're going to see that the church will be like that. There will be not only a group of the church that will go off wrong, but there will be a group of the church that will get strong and will look like the body of Christ. You with me? So Luke 17. Let's look at a couple of more things that show us where we're at. So he said, like Noah, that is not just how it looks in the United States. That kind of looks like that in the world. As a matter of fact, we're one of the last countries to look like that. Luke 17, verse 28. Notice this. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. Where was Lot? In Sodom, Gomorrah. It said they ate and they drank and they bought and they sold and they planted and they built. They just lived their life in this lifestyle and they just pushed. It says, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Isn't it interesting that he uses this like Noah's time as a sign that we're near the end. People are fighting for everybody's right to be any way but gospel. Woe unto them who call good evil and evil good. The big thing is, is we still love everybody. Right? We want to reach people. And it goes on and talks about this, even so will that day be when the Son of Man is revealed. It'll be just like this. Look at verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Now remember I said this? In this theme of the end time, 
there's a thought of where are you keeping your focus. For us, the believer, we should know where we're at in time, but where are you keeping your mind? Now, we're always told, no matter what generation we live in, to keep our mind stayed on things above, not on things on the earth. But we know that there will be so much going on around, it will be harder to keep focus. Or there will be more that will try to draw focus. In other words, we're coming up on the 4th of July. If you're out driving around on the 4th of July, it becomes harder to keep your focus when you're driving in the dark, when other people, not three in the morning, but you know, once it gets dark, especially with other people in your car, because you know exactly what they're going to be doing. Oh, look over there. Oh, look over there. Oh, look at that. Do you see that one? I'm trying to drive. There are a lot of voices telling you to look. And so we'll see here again the thought of lift up your eyes, look. Notice this, verse 32, remember Lot's wife. When we're talking about the second coming, he didn't just say, this is what's going to happen. He said, remember Lot's wife. Why remember Lot's wife? That wasn't good. She got, she turned into a pillar of salt. You know, one kid in Sunday school was hearing this story about how Lot's wife turned back. Turned into a pillar of salt. And this kid was unimpressed and he raised his hand to the teacher. He said, that's nothing. My mom was driving and she turned back and turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> if you don't get that, think about that. Come to you later. But you think about, hey, who said, oh boy, you can get fired for that. No, I'm kidding. But you think about it, what'd she do? She turned her attention and got focusing on what was happening instead of the Lord said, whatever you guys do when you start moving out, don't get your focus on the back part back there. That's behind. I'm dealing with that situation. You get your eyes and your mind forward. And what did she do? Didn't do it. She turned and got her attention. And it said she turned into a pillar of salt. And we know it says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. In other words, we can't have this it's about me mentality. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, whoever lives surrendered to the Lord with their attention on him, you're on the right path. Notice this in 2 Timothy. We're going to look at something a little bit different here and kind of change directions even though when we first start reading this, it's going to sound just like, hey, these are signs. But remember, we need to make our minds stayed, determined, that I'm going to make my mind stay on the Lord. I'm going to have opportunities to look at things that are coming, and I can't stop my mind from going there, but I can stop it from staying there. And as you keep exercising yourself, just like you can train your body, you can train your mind. You with me? And so, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. For time's sake, I'm only going to read this in the New Living Translation, but you can look along in whatever translation you have. It says, you should know this, Timothy. This is Paul writing to a young minister. That in the last days there will be very difficult times. 
What's amazing to me is if you're a little bit older, you realize it wasn't always like this. But if you're raised in it, you think this is just how it is. You know, if you're 18, 20 years old, that's all you've ever seen. But notice this. He said, very difficult times will come. When? He said, in the last days. For people will love only themselves and their money. You could say a lot there. Money is not evil. Loving money is evil. There's a big difference. There's a difference between having money and being covetous about money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others. Let me go back and make this statement. God is okay with people prospering. The Bible said the Lord delights in the prosperity of His people. But there's a difference between Him delighting in it and a person being covetous about it. Matter of fact, he said, if you'd put me first, these things would be added to you. But the key is keeping him first. You with me? And always having the mentality of this is about him. And we're going to live in a society that's going to say, we've got to get money and we've got to be covetous about this and it's about me. Notice he said, they will consider nothing sacred, they will be unloving, and we're living in a time where you can turn on TV and you can hear people talk, and used to be they'd skate around the things of God, now they just call you stupid for believing. I know him, meaning the Lord, so it doesn't bother me. But this is where they'll be. They'll be ungrateful. I mean, think about how ungrateful prosperous nations are. United States is one of them. Canada is one of them. You with me? And how ungrateful people are for what they've got. So he says, well, I don't have that much. We've got loads compared to what most of the world has. And it says, they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control, I ought to just keep reading real quick there. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. You could say it like this, with themselves or with me. Love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. There will be a group of people at the end that will act religious the New King James said, but they'll deny the power that is associated with God. Here it says, but they will reject the power that could make them godly or change their life. Notice that very last part. It says, stay away from people like that. Isn't it interesting that he tells all these things that are going to be, and then at the end he said, there will be a group of people that will be real religious that will have a form, but there will be no power associated with them. And then he said, get away from them. How many times do people choose a church because there's no power and it's not challenging? 
I can go and stay the same and don't have to worry about God dealing with me. He said, listen, you better be careful and watch out. That is a sign of the end. To me, if you read that, he said, from such turn away, that statement right there is massive. Say, what do you mean? Well, if you're going to move away from it, that means you are not it. So that means if he said from such, turn away, he's talking to people who don't see it that way, don't believe it that way, wouldn't choose it that way. He said, you've got to move away from that. That tells me there's a group here and a group here. You with me? You wonder about the five and wise and the five foolish virgins and one group, when the Lord saw him, you know, at his second coming, said, I never knew you, the others. He said, come in. These people here are a group of people who are religious by appearance with no acknowledgement of his power to change, to work, to do anything. And he said there would be a division because he said, you'll have to come away from them. That means there will be a group of people that does believe. And he said, but there will be a group of people that will identify this way. To me, that sounds like a split in the body of Christ, or at least in the recognized religious world. That it'll be maybe more of a show, more of a whatever, than a real deal. So, are we going to be a church on the run, is the question. No, the church will not be weak. Turn to Revelation 19, we'll look at two scriptures in close. The church world, because it used to puzzle me because people talk about, you know, certain things will happen at the end and, and I used to not be able to find Scripture to back it. And I am not going to back something if I can't find Scripture, you know. Uh, I would find where there will be people who will depart from the right way, but I didn't find stuff really that said there was an end time harvest. Sorry, being honest, I'm pretty studied in the Word. Somebody said, well, what about James 5? He's not teaching about an end-time harvest. He's talking about persistence and patience in your life and endurance until there's a payoff. And so that being said, I can find this that I'm about to read and what I did just read, that there would be some kind of command to split from a powerless thing to be connected to where there is power, where people believe in the gospel. Not a perfect body by any means, because a real growing body will never be perfect. Because there should be young believers coming up. And people are not perfect. And it's not a matter of works of the law and legalism, but there should be some kind of demonstration of power and a working in this body of Christ that is different than this other group of people. Notice this in Revelation 19. This is right at the second coming of the Lord, if you read the context. Right when he comes back, or right before he comes back, I mean right there, this statement is made in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Notice this phrase. And his wife, which we know is the bride, has made herself ready, has made herself ready. Now, you can't make yourself, per se, ready for heaven. You have to receive the Lord. 
when you get born again, if you die, there you go. But he talks about being arrayed in white. And we know that we are made ready by grace through faith. But he's talking about the body making some kind of adjustments here. And it says, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. If people will keep their minds separated truly on the Lord, the fruit will show up in their life and lifestyle. When people's lives are on earthly things, they'll start carrying out earthly things. They'll entertain them enough to where they carry it out. And so he said, at these end times, one of the main things we need to do is what are you entertaining? What are you pondering? Is your mind on the Lord and on things above? Or is it on redemption? Is it on what he bought? Is it on what he paid for? Is it on what he's done for you? Or is it so cluttered up with the world that we don't know any of that? We'll struggle then. You with me? And he said, she made herself ready. These were the righteous acts. Now, you can't make yourself ready per se to go to heaven. You know what I mean? You get there, it's a gift. But white linen, you could do a teaching. I think I did at one time about people being clothed. He said, we're not even to like the garments that are spotted by the activity of the flesh. There's a difference between being made new inside and having garments spotted by the activity of purposefully living wrong. The reason why people struggle is their mind is on that. Knew you'd be excited. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the answer is easy. Putting it into practice may be some work for people, but if we would learn to entertain what is right, you would notice a change. Ephesians 5, verse 26. Notice this. And we're going to close with this verse right here. Verse 26 and 27. It says, and 28. It says, Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. Now he's talking about the Lord's work in the body. That he might present her, the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. And he's talking about the Lord loving the church. Now you understand this. God will deal with us out of his word to make adjustments. He wants us to be a certain way. Not just for ourselves, but for the world. The world is in despair. If you want to have peace in this world... He said, just keep your mind stayed on the things of God and his peace would guard your heart and mind. So you could see all the things going on in the world, but if your focus stays correctly on the Lord, you can skate through this thing with peace. You with me? But the fact of the matter is, is there are things that I shared today that are distinct for this day and age. 
They can't be pushed into another time. Maybe, you know, this part of the world or that part of the world had certain things happening. But these things that are here, we can see happening worldwide today. One thing that to me is just notable is Israel coming back to their land. I know this. This is kind of like a two-minute warning, you know, in a football game. And some people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, i got to do what i got to do, and then all hands on deck. And some may forget, but I'll tell you what, as we keep getting closer, people will be reminded of this, not by me, but things will just stare them down in the face. You with me? And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of good stuff to be done and be a glorious church. This glorious church, I believe, from what I see, will look like Christ in motion. When he was on the earth, we'll see it like that. Now, did some of his disciples do dumb things when he was on the earth? Yeah, you better believe it. Will dumb things still happen? Yeah. Should we just throw out the whole thing? No. But the body will become more glorious by action and deed. You with me? As we make adjustments, keep our minds on him, he wants a powerful church before he comes. And we are a powerful church. I mean the body as a whole. And we can walk in more and more as we do keep our mind on him.